Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. Very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, Dr. Meryl Okay, My friend, how are you? What is happening in your world? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. I am planning on what the slow season is going to look like. I'm planning a little slowdown and taking some moments to be mindful um, in a more extended way, which I'm really looking forward to. How are yeah. you? I love that. Um, I'm doing well. Just back from the 5 a.m. flight out of New York City to Denver. Spent time with my mentor yesterday. And, um, you know, so a little sleep deprived, but super excited. You know, I'm trying to change my state and my energy to make sure that we have a phenomenal conversation. So I connected with you through your team after seeing you speak at Lewis Howell's event, um, Summit of Greatness, a few months back. I'd taken my little brother as he has stepped deeper into his personal development journey. Um, it's a great honor for me to be able to share the people that I love, not only with him, but especially with the Unbroken Nation audience here. And you and I talk about very much the same things. And trauma now more than ever is a conversation that's at the forefront, really in a lot of ways, in terms of behavior, in terms of somatic experiences, in terms of just our day-to-day -day human essence. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, and I haven't heard anyone ask you this. So I want to ask you, like, how did this become your route? And why is it so important to you now, probably more than ever, that we start to have a deeper conversation about what healing trauma actually is? Mm, such a good question. You know, the work itself routed me into trauma. I kept seeing almost the same narrative just in a different person's life showing up over and over again. And when I started seeing so many commonalities, I kept thinking, well, we have to address the root. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I especially started seeing the commonalities showing up when I was still in training. So when I was in training, I, I trained at 
Columbia University in my doctorate. And then the clinical training that I was able to procure was at Columbia Medical Center. And I was still an extern there, which means it's just a part of the, you know, psychological training. And I kept listening to what felt like the same story, but from client to client and kept feeling this urgency as such a, like a new clinician, this urgency to make it stop. Like these cycles aren't broken and what's going on? Like we need to do something about this. And there were some people that were actually being seen for decades in this hospital. And, and it, hap it happens in hospitals all over the nation. And I kept thinking like, why are people unwell decades later? Why is that happening? Why are they still suffering in very much the same ways that they were when they first came to us? And so it really created this line of inquiry for me around what the root cause had been that had kept these people in this state of suffering for such extended periods of time. And I landed at trauma and I landed at generational trauma, meaning, you know, there were people in their families that had also gone through things in generations past and people hadn't resolved these things because they didn't have access or because they just didn't have the motivation to do some of the work, the healing work. And so all roads kept leading to trauma. So I, I do believe that in many ways this work found me and I just went along with it because that's what the people needed. Mm, that's really beautiful. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that's very much my experience. My my background, having an A score of 10, being a homeless drug addict at 12 years old, seeing really the worst of humanity. And then me, I, I had this interesting conversation with Dr. Gabor Mate. We're talking about disease and depression and stuffing it down. And, and that's what I did for a very long time, which so many people do. It's almost normative, right? That escape, yeah. that dissociation. Until eventually it like rose up and it was like, hey, dude, pay attention. And, and that pay attention for me was like this series of about a thousand rock bottom moments, um, which then, of course, has turned into a very different transformation and, and hoping and, and seeing the amazing work that we can do as a human species and race when we come together to have the conversation about generational trauma. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that the more that we do that, the more that we empower people to do what, what I'm going to call the hardest thing that we do, and that's ask for help. Mm -hmm. And when I think about asking for help and I look at like my own journey, it was, it almost felt like stepping off of a cliff, right? I'm like, well, shit, I guess I better do this because if I don't, nothing's going to be different. And I mm -hmm. started getting back into my body. Like maybe even for the first time, right? When you talk about healing, and I know a huge aspect of, of your language is around the somatic experience. Why is it so important for us to get back into our body? And how do we do that after trauma? Well, a large part of the reason why it's so important to get back into the body after you've had a traumatic experience is because trauma disconnects you from your body. Trauma makes you experience your body as feeling like it's on fire in a constant alarmed state. And it's a place that no longer feels like home. It feels like the place you want to escape. So in order to help a person to feel more centered, more integrated. It's going to be critical 
for there to be a body-based component to the healing journey. It has to be because the disconnection occurs when trauma happens. Reconnection needs to occur when healing happens. And in that is that reconnection. I mean, can you, here's an interesting thought I've been having recently. Can you actually heal without the reconnection to the body? I feel like the answer is no, but I'm curious if that is true. Why is that? That's such a critical question. And I am sitting here thinking it's, it's a very deep question too. And I, I want to make sure to honor that. However, if you are in a constant state of not being connected to your body, you're in a form of dissociation. If you're dissociating, true healing isn't happening because you have to be in yourself and befriending yourself and looking within yourself on a continuous basis to be able to feel steady, to be able to feel healed, to even do the healing itself. So it almost is a question that, like you said, the answer is no, that I stand by a no as well. However, I couldn't imagine anybody who b- believes themselves to be healed from the experiences of trauma and still not be in a friendly space with their body. Mm. That just means to me that there is one dimension of that person that has experienced healing, perhaps the mind, right? But the body is still a neglected state. And the emotions typically what happens is that the emotions migrate. So the person experiences dis-ease or disease within the body, and that is the manifestation of the unhealed self in the body. So they might have a mind that is now steady, but their body is showing symptoms. Hmm. When you're dissociated and you're having that experience and you're doing the work, you're going to therapy, maybe you're listening to these podcasts, you have a coach, you're doing all the things, but there's still that disconnect. And you're like, okay, cool. This makes sense to me. I feel like I've done a lot of the work mentally. I feel it, but my body, I still feel a million miles away. How can we start getting more integrated or even reintegrated into our body in this peaceful, loving, compassionate way? Like, what does that actually look like in practicality standpoint? So such a good question. It, it's very versatile. So there are many things that people can do in order to bring themselves back into their bodies in a way that feels safe. And it can start with very small practices that can help you to recenter. And on an ongoing basis, these practices can help you to reestablish a new way to be inside of your body. And those practices are breathing, humming, rocking, being able to do progressive muscle relaxation, being able to do sound bath meditations, walking meditations, sitting meditations, yoga, tai chi. There are so many different variations that a person can lean to, right, depending on what their preferences might be, that are body-based practices that offer the body the release that it needs and desires in order for it to feel more steady. And that steadiness on an ongoing basis through multiple repetitions, many times through years of repetitions, 
can actually then start feeling like a safer place to be in. Mm. Yeah, the safer place makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, when I got deeper into, I, I remember one time I was doing a sound bath meditation on an island in Thailand. And it was like, this is such a weird thing that's happening in my life. But I'd made this decision to myself when I was 26. I said, no matter what, I'm going to figure this out. I don't care what links of the earth I have to go to, the amount of money I have to invest. I'm ending generational trauma. I'm mm -hmm. ending this. I'm removing this curse, this thing that has impeded my family from progress and perfection for ever this thing that kept me stuck as a child this thing that even even though in my 20s what looked like i was on top of the world i secretly wasn't at 350 pounds smoking two packs a day drinking myself to sleep completely unhealed and so i'm, I'm in this moment of this beautiful sound bath while it's a full moon no less right because i'm just like fuck it let's do all the woo woo things not knowing what will and will not work and I remember distinctly laying there in that moment and being like, oh, this is what it's actually like to feel peace. Mm -hmm. And I think so, I'll speak from a firsthand perspective, healing my own personal trauma, going through assessing my body as this physical thing while kind of trying to integrate it was what felt like at times an insurmountable battle because of the fear of peace. And one of the conversations I often have with my clients is thinking about the way we assess this idea of chaos. I don't know if you'll agree with this, but from my perspective, many trauma survivors, we thrive in chaos. It's what we know. It's everything we experience and thriving in peace can be terrifying. And so in this integration process, what I felt like I was like having this back and forth battle with myself, like constantly, I was like, just be present. My body's like, no, I don't want to be in this until suddenly I realized like, oh, wait, you're allowed to be safe in your own body. But so many people don't feel that because of the abuse, because of the trauma, because of the suffering. Mm -hmm. How can they get to a space of safety in their body without rejecting it? Mm. Well, I mean, you're speaking to something that is very common among trauma survivors, which is the experience of feeling like chaos is the familiar and you can thrive in the familiar, right? Because you're a pro at it. You've, you've built mastery around chaos. And so it makes more sense to lean to the chaos and be good at it, right? Than lean into the unknown and fall into an abyss of you don't know what's waiting for you on the other side of that, right? And us as humans, we don't deal with the unknowns very well. Mm. So if you are confronted with what's familiar but chaotic versus what is unfamiliar and safe, you're going to go with what is familiar because you don't have the, the experience of fear behind it. However, a lot of what trauma work is, is working through that fear. It's also befriending a different identity, an identity that is no longer connected to chaos, an identity that no longer centers chaos, and a personality even that is no longer connected to, you know, just things always being in an uproar. So it's going to be 
for anybody who is walking that journey, it's going to be really important for them to to really disengage chaos from their identity. And that's a really hard thing to do, which is why a lot of people go back, which is why there's so much relapse when it comes to anything dealing with trauma, right? Whether it's addictions, whether it's, you know, people going back into just toxicity or going back into destructive behaviors, any of that is going to be more of what people tend to do whenever they're confronted with this insurmountable fear and they don't know what to do with that when they don't have the actual practices of what to do with that. Typically, what I tend to do with folks whenever I'm working with them from a trauma lens is that I start working with the body and I start working with different practices that they can initiate in their day-to-day lives to actually engage in just a little bit of safety and then debrief as to how they experience that sense of safety or peace. Or even sometimes it's not even as much as safety and peace because those are, quite frankly, those are extremes for trauma survivors. Like some people don't experience that right away. What they may experience is neutrality, nothing right? There's nothing there. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's peace. I just know there's no chaos. There's just nothing. And even that is something that we can work to process so that they can then start familiarizing themselves with the nothing and start applying value to nothing, to there being nothing, right? Um, And so, you know, for me, within a holistic lens, it's always a two-step process. It's about inviting in some element of what can feel different and perhaps more regulating and then processing how it has been for a person to experience that regulatory relaxation, neutrality-based experience and, and then take it from there. When somebody's in this space and they're, they're contemplating, I think about contemplation a lot, right? Can we just at least plant the seed first? Right. What you said, just the, the little small fractions and pigments of peace. Like, can you just see possibility? What I tend to notice in, in my own self early on in the journey, we're talking 10, 12 years ago, it was like, I would look at this version of possibility over here of the person that I could be versus the person that I was. And it was like one step forward and 10,000 steps backwards for the first four years. People always ask me, wow, you've done so much. You've changed the world. You've blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yo, 26 to 30 was a nightmare because I was integrating a new concept, a new idea, new familiarity is about possibility. People often hesitate to even take that first step. Terror is the word I would use because like I remember to have these moments like just like laying in bed, trapped in this idea. Like it is not my fault of the things that happen. But like, it is my fault that my life is a disaster in this given moment because of the decisions I was making based on all the lack of information and education I had, right? Choosing in moments, knowing that the thing I was doing, like eating fucking McDonald's 20 times a week was probably not in my best interest. Mm-hmm. And then I started questioning, like, but what if it was 19 times a week? What if it was five? What if it was one? What if I could maybe just take an incremental step towards this notion of an idea of a person that I thought I could be. Mm-hmm. And, and to some extent, honestly, it felt like 
it was this parlay between, for lack of a better way to phrase, forcing that reality while healing the old reality, right? And stepping into what was new and what was next with a parameter of safety, having mentorship and coaches and, and ultimately multiple modalities of therapy. Mm-hmm. When people feel ultimately just completely stuck, completely trapped, and, and there's a potential for one step just being that thing that could make the difference, and yet they don't take it, how can they find the strength within themselves to do it, to show up for themselves, especially in the times where inherently it feels like this is the thing I should be doing? Hmm. Well, I think you're talking about, well, in essence, you are describing a bit of the harm reduction model, which is to take incremental steps in the direction of the life that you desire which means that you're going to have to take incremental steps towards reducing the practices and behaviors that are keeping you from the life that you desire. And so that means that if you understand that there is a life that you've envisioned that you wish for yourself and there is one small thing that you can do Try doing that. And I think the thing that we miss out on is checking in, checking back in. So taking then a step back and saying, how was that for me? What happened in that moment when I decided to only eat those 19 meals rather than 20 McDonald's meals? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for who I believe I am? And that is a a question about self-worth because for anyone who's undergone trauma, Self-worth is usually fractured or punctured or wounded, and people feel like a lessened version of themselves. So what does it mean to give something back to yourself? What does it mean to, to treat yourself just a little bit better this week with that one less meal and really digesting that? That is enough because that is already a lot to have to take in, a lot to have to process, a lot to have to step back and contemplate on. And I think that typically what people want to do is that they want immediate results. So they make these big jumps and big leaps and, you know, they, they do all these fancy things to try and find the healing. And they have like five different coaches that help with five different things to help them become this way better person. And it's beautiful that people are, you know, might be motivated to really do the work. However, when we find incremental points and we just take a moment to reflect on those points and really digest where we are in the journey, that can be so much more monumental in the healing process and especially in sustaining healing for the long term than really jumping full force into all this stuff that really sometimes doesn't even allow you a moment to process and think about what's happening within you. Yeah. I mean, I'll speak from firsthand experience and go, yep. <laughs> you know, I had so many times, especially in the beginning of this part, part of it was, a, and I think a lot of people run into this. I was like, oh, I've identified that I have trauma, right? It's really hard for me to miss, but I'd stuffed it so down. I was like, nah, I'm fine. Nah, I'm fine. You know, the house that's burning and the cats outside, it says I'm fine. That was my whole twenties. And so <laughs> And so when I figured that out and identified it, I was like, oh shit, I will just do literally everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And I attacked it in that manner. And I realized about a year and a half into it 
going at that speed, I was like, there's no space for integration of any of this. I didn't have that word then, but it was like, I'm not really doing anything with all this shit I'm learning. So I was like, okay, let me pause, take a step back, slow it down. Because hypervigilance is such a huge part of this journey and the, the, the space in which you are hyper-independent. And I was like, if I just keep doing all the things all the time, eventually there will be change, which is true in essence. But it was also like there were always the, the missing pieces of the puzzle of the pause. And when we got deeper into doing movement with my physical body, especially yoga, that's where I felt like all the information was like starting to reap its benefit because mm -hmm. I'd be on this mat just in the silence of the breath, hot yoga, especially just dripping in sweat and being like, oh, I'm alive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is what it's supposed to feel like. And to not fight it. When, when people are in this and they're like, okay, here's this idealesque picture of the life that I want to have. How do they cross that chasm of the fear of actually becoming that person? Because it's one thing, I think, to take those incremental steps, to give the space for integration, but then still have that narrative that has been effectively em enmeshed and groomed into you. Not enough. You don't matter. You'll never be successful. Like all of that negative self-talk that still kind of permeates and sits there. And then you're faced with this really kind of yes or no. Like, am I going to go into my life or am I not on my terms? And so how do you face the fear of actually being that person you believe that you can be when you've had these traumatic experiences that really kind of tell you otherwise? We'll be right back to today's show, but first I need to ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling like you don't have the support to go to the next level in your healing journey? Are you feeling like you wish you had a little bit more support from not only myself, but the Unbroken Nation? Well, my friend, I want to invite you to come and join our live weekly coaching sessions in Think Unbroken. All you have to do is go to keys, K-E-Y-S, keys.thinkunbroken.com to sign up and join us today with 100% money back, no questions asked, guaranteed and no contract or commitment every week for the next year, you can come and be a part of our live coaching sessions each Monday as we dive deep into not only answering your questions, but questions from the Unbroken Nation and help you take all of the information that you learn in the podcast, in the courses, and other areas of this journey, bring them into your life and use it in a way that is practical, life-changing, and transformative. So my friend, join us at keys.thinkunbroken.com and we will see you this Monday. We have to confront that voice and you have to confront the originator of that voice. More often than not, that voice is just a replica of somebody who's told you those things. And those statements have become internalized and they've become a part of you. They're now the narrative that you live by and abide by, but it wasn't, that message didn't come from you. A baby isn't born into this world telling itself you're not enough. A baby grows into a child that hears that message either explicitly or hears it by way of how people are treating them and learns it by, by way of how people are treating them, especially parents, and then internalizes that not enoughness. And that becomes the internal narrative, that inner critic. So in many ways, the person now adult with that inner narrative 
has to not only contest the language that the inner critic is using, but also has to contest where it came from. Somebody told you in some way or another that you weren't enough. Who told you that? Were they right in saying that about you? Can you speak to that person or to that voice now and tell them what you desire to tell them about what they made you believe about yourself? And it starts there, which is why work around trauma always has to include some work around that inner narrative, the inner critic, and all of the voices that have been now internalized that keep a person feeling so low. Sometimes people feel like they deserve their trauma because they feel so low about themselves. Sometimes they feel like they don't deserve any better, which is where self-sabotage comes into play and people start seeing good things happening in their lives and they start sabotaging it because they don't believe that they deserve those good things to happen. Now, all so many things happen as a result of that inner critic and that inner narrative. So a large part of what needs to happen is contesting the inner critic and contesting, even if you, you can't speak to the person themselves, but contesting them by imagining them saying that to you yet again and contesting them in your mind or in, in therapy even. When you say that, the words that come to mind for me are stand up for yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Show up for yourself. Be willing to stand fast in your truth. And to some extent, let go. Mm-hmm. Like just let go of that. It's not yours to carry. Like I, I think about this all the time when I'm coaching my clients and like I feel stuck. I'm like, if I gave you a backpack of bricks, you had to take it everywhere with you. Like, how long are you going to carry this? Mm-hmm. And so much of that are the false narratives that we have. Yeah. About our enoughness. Like, yo, you want to carry this heavy ass bag with you everywhere you go, or do you want to sit it down? Mm-hmm. And there, and that fear of sitting it down means that you have to step into a new identity. And I think a big part of stepping into that new identity has to be done when you are in control of your nervous system. But I think that because we're so dissociated, because we're constantly in that sympathetic nervous system, because Really, I mean, between the phones and social media and all the chaos of the world we live in right now, I feel like getting regulated is incredibly difficult. And so it's like, how do you parlay becoming regulated, stepping into a new identity, facing the fear, doing the work, healing all of these things and, and doing it in this small incremental way that creates and promotes growth. And we talk about this idea about training and controlling your nervous system. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you do that in in today, like in the chaos of the world? Even though we're trying to move away from chaos, you can't. It's here. It's like everywhere. Every time you open your eyes, so how do you start to control your emotions, your nervous system, your physical body when you're always in a space to be heightened? It in part is about even transitioning the language that we use around emotions. So we're not in essence controlling them. What we're doing is that we're getting to know them better. We are being curious and inquisitive about our emotions and what they're trying to tell us. Because when we're trying to control them, what typically tends to happen is that we instead start suppressing them. 
So when we get curious about what our emotions are trying to tell us, that's when we start understanding ourselves better. That's the self-knowledge that comes up. Oh, this is, I feel this way. I feel like I'm, I'm worried about, you know, the possibility that my mother could, you know, be, had her diabetes could get worse, right? That's why I respond this way to whenever she eats something and I, you know, I get really frazzled and then I yell and I'm worried. I'm, I'm so deeply worried. I don't want to lose her, right? That's what's happening in the background. And so instead of telling yourself, stop being so anxious, don't worry so much. What can you do to stop being so worried? Take this, you know, or do this. Whether it's a, an actual practice or medication or whatever it is, those things typically are Band-Aids. What we need to instead start doing is start, start understanding like, What's behind the worry? Why the anxiety? What's it telling you? What's there? What's the message? What's the naming fear? Naming that. It's naming it. It's getting to know it. It's getting really curious about it. It's going into the layers of it. It's all of those things. Now, granted, of course, like we can do things right now to actually, you know, help the nervous system to regulate itself with more frequency. And if you know my work, you know that I'm all about that. And I constantly help people to do that through day-to-day accessible practices that can be done and, you know, can be really helpful, genuinely helpful. And we need to do these like breathing and rocking and all kinds of things that can be so regulatory to our nervous system and can help us manage the ways that we carry emotions in a way that can help instill pride in us rather than make us feel shame. So I'm all about that. However, I'm also about curiosity when it comes to our emotions, which is probably why I'm a psychologist, because I mean, I am very curious about emotions and I want people to be curious about them as well. I'm very curious about them also. And that's why I've been so studious in my own personal journey over the years. I mean, I've, I've literally put myself into continuing education courses with PhDs as a civilian, right? Cause I'm like, I want to learn this, but I hate math. So I don't want to go to college. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the thing that I've, I've dove deep into over the years is being able to first and foremost for myself, like, how do you name this without bringing with it shame and guilt and judgment? And then instead just being like, yo, I'm a human having this thing called a human experience and it's okay to be pissed off and happy in the same second and to let go of all of these preconceived notions of this ideal of who you should be and instead just simply being who you are. And, and I think so many people get stuck in, and I was here too, right? Like if I wasn't angry, pissed off, Michael, then I'm just like dissociated, gone, ghost, introvert, because I'm a massive introvert version of me, right? And it was like, wait, you can kind of all the things. It's yin and yang. You can be happy and sad and joyful and hurt. It's because it exists within you. And I don't know if this is true, and and I'm curious of your thoughts of this, but this dawned on me once. I thought to myself, in a moment of anger, right, really probably when the first time I actually understood anger after a, a session of men's therapy, seven, eight years ago. Like I really got deep into it. Someone said, you don't know how to be angry. And they're like, yeah, I do. I'll punch a hole in this roll right now. And they go, no, 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 no. You don't know how to be angry. Mm. And I thought to myself, hmm, interesting. I also don't know how to be happy. Mm. I don't know how to be sad. And I don't know how to be joyful. And it, what dawned on me this one particular evening in my journal, deep into like this dump, I was like, 
oh, can you feel any emotions if you can't feel all emotion? Hmm. So I'm curious if you think that's true. It may not be. I have no idea. It's just a thought I had. There's so many depths to your mind. <laughs> You're very psychologically minded. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I love talking to people that are. so. And there are many ways in which we have failed children in our society. And one of the most prominent ways that I think believe that we're seeing even more so now is that we just haven't baked into the curriculum of school or community or wherever children are involved. We haven't baked into it the understanding of emotions. Hmm. And what has happened is that we then become adults that don't really know very much about our emotions. When therapists ask, when therapists actually tell people, Hey, seems like you're sad. It seems like a very, very generic intervention, like something basic. Hey, like, duh, I'm sad. Come on. <laughs> right? Agreed. However, you wouldn't believe how many times, I can't even tell you how, I, I could not count in just me being one singular psychologist and the people that I've worked with, how many times I have had to reiterate an emotion for a person because they've had such trouble identifying what emotion they're experiencing. We don't have a vast language around emotions. We don't have a vast understanding of what our emotions look like collectively and individually. And it makes it so that people are just going about life in a very autopilot way when it comes to their emotions and not taking a step back and saying, I'm worried. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm in grief right now. We don't have that baked into the culture, that step back and acknowledging what's going on with us. One of the most interesting interventions that I've found in just my journey, and I've actually utilized for myself, especially when it came to public speaking, has been acknowledging an emotion outwardly, like explicitly saying it. And that actually creates an experience where the emotion almost kind of uh, loses its potency. Like I remember I was speaking at my graduation and when I spoke, I said to the crowd, I'm a little nervous up here. There's a lot of people. And that just stating it, humanizing myself, humanizing the experience of an emotion that felt very appropriate to have in that moment. However, I felt that the emotion was creeping in in a way that could have debilitated me enough to not allow me to speak in the ways that I wanted. Mm -hmm. That created a disempowerment of the emotion and an empowerment of me. And that's something that's an intervention that people can do on any given day, but just calling out the emotion. And that already gives you an opportunity to feel more empowered above the emotion itself and to call it out and name it and humanize yourself. But we don't have that baked into the culture. We don't have that practice in the culture itself. Although I think a little bit more in this like one to two years post pandemic now, I feel like there's a little bit more of that language just floating through society, which I'm really liking. But we need the actual practice and the understanding of what happens in the brain when you call it out. Yeah. I agree. And, and I think one of the things too, is to 
empower people to understand the truth that there are no wrong emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, people get so caught up in it. They're like, I feel so bad because I'm nervous. I'm like, yo, me too. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. So what you're doing in that moment is that you're helping them to not internalize shame around their own emotions, which is yet again, another thing that when we don't have enough conversations, especially with children around the fact that their emotions are simply ways that they feel because they are human and they are responses to circumstances and situations and they're messengers. When we don't have those conversations, children start internalizing the emotion as I must be bad. Oh, and then they start being apologetic about their emotions. And then they grow up to be adults that say the word sorry a lot. Mm. I I had a conversation with someone very close to me recently. I was like, if you tell me sorry one more time, I'm going to freak out on you because it was like everything. I was like, you don't have to apologize for being you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is like, to me, I, I think people ask me all the time on podcasts. They're like, what does it mean for you to be healed? And I'm like, it's when you are you unapologetically because you choose to be. And, and that's the thing going back to this, this notion, this, this truth foundationally, probably one of the, if not the most fundamental truths about what I would call trauma in society is that children are taught to move away from their emotion. Mm -hmm. Especially if you grow up in a traumatic household, you cry, I'll give you something to cry about right? My household, that, that experience parlayed with, of course, being a boy in the eighties playing sports. We don't have time to get into that shit. And then like all the things compounded by media and technology and movie and films and everything that tell you, you should be happy all the time. And then every single time a commercial comes on, it's like, take this drug. So your life doesn't suck. And it's like, wait a second, hold on. Maybe it's okay to be depressed in moments or anxious in moments and sad in moments and all of these other things. How do, let, let's, let's stay on adults here for a second because I, I think this will be really helpful for some people. If they've come from the background of lack, which let's call it probably most people in terms of emotion, and now here they are, they are adults, whatever that means for them, wherever they are in their life, and they're listening to this and they're like, yeah, man, my mom told me not to cry and to woman up or to man up or to be the big boy or like whatever it is. And I've been removed from my emotions for so long. Today, how do I reconcile that relationship with myself around emotions? Hmm. You show up for yourself and you show up for yourself differently than your parents show up for you when you were a kid. It's a part of the journey of what they now call reparenting, right? Which in essence has a couple different names internally in psychology, but more colloquially reparenting means that you look into yourself, into your childhood, into where there was lack. You identify the ways that you could do in essence the exact opposite and you give yourself that. And it is a very powerful technique. And part of the reason why is because that part of you is still waiting It's still there, yearning to be seen, to be acknowledged, and to be loved differently. And when we're able to offer ourselves that, we can find some reconciliation. We can find some healing of those parts that were left wounded from the past. So it's a lot of that. And I wouldn't offer specifics because it's so individual. Mm -hmm. It's anybody, people have such 
different kinds of wounds when it comes to what they experienced growing up that was left as a lack. So my, I guess, recommendation, if you may, or what I would want a person to do for themselves in the reparenting journey would be for them to just sit with themselves and just reflect and think, what do I need right now? What did I need then? And then literally go ahead and do that. It's simple, but incredibly powerful. Where is the balance in that? And, and what I mean by that is where, where is the space in which you go, I am actually giving myself what I need versus maybe course correcting obtusely in which you're like only always giving yourself what you think you need. Mm. If that even I, exists. Well, it's a question I haven't been asked. So I am thinking about it. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. You know, more often than not, there the wound has been left there for so many decades and there's such a lack that has been just waiting that more often than not, people aren't giving themselves enough. So it's it's a little bit less of what of the questions that I'm used to, right? Because typically people give themselves less of what they need, not too much of it. And quite frankly, it if a person is overindulging in the reparenting process, I guess one might say, really eventually they're gonna feel like, okay, I'm settled. I feel fine. And hopefully what the what they'll do thereafter is just transition into living their life in the present. That's the hope, right? It's that you don't always reparent and don't always live in the past or trying to recoup whatever was left there or, or wasn't, you know, wasn't given. The hope is that you will instead transition into a mindful, present experience where you can live in your joy because the wounds that were left have been already reconciled and you can feel as though your life can move forward. So that's the hope. So if someone is overindulging, it, it would actually, in my own curious mind as a psychologist, make me really curious about what we're missing. Mm -hmm. If there's an overindulgence in the healing, if you're, if you've got like the 10 coaches and you know, you're, you're doing like so many things and you're reparenting like every second of the day, I'm going to start leaning in the direction of what are we numbing? What is, what is it that, you know, we're not really attending to here because I'm curious now. And so that's where my head would be heading. But I would also want to transition a person in the direction of just finally living in their present and really enjoying the life that they have left. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I have found myself with, with my clients and even myself being like, guess what? You don't get to do coaching this week. You need to just exist. Mm -hmm. And and that can be so terrifying because that's the space in which you're like, wait a second, I'm going to put my toes in the water. Wait, this thing is life. Okay. Am I safe? Yes, I'm safe. The environment's supporting me. Okay, cool. Uh, no one's trying to attack me right now. Yes. Okay. Oh shit. I'm alive. And I find that to be this really beautiful and powerful space. Yeah, I agree with you. I've never asked anybody that question. It just came to mind and I, I would have to say, yes, I totally agree. My friend, this has been an amazing conversation. Before I ask you my last question, can you please tell everyone where they can find you? Yes, absolutely. The best place to find me is on my website is drmarielbouquet.com. And there you can find everything that I'm up to. 
And you have an amazing thing that you do on Instagram and other social media platforms with tea. If you can tell people about that. Yeah, absolutely. I invite people to tea and therapy across the platforms that I'm a part of, YouTube, sometimes Pinterest, Instagram, TikTok. And what that is, is an invitation to about 60 seconds of a therapy session, a simulated therapy session where I talk about one topic. And in that topic, I almost act as if we're having therapy together and offer at least one mental health tip that people can take home with them for that tea therapy session, which some people, you know, they, they try and incorporate it into their week. And that's pretty neat too. Yeah. It's a beautiful tool. I love that you do that. So that's why I wanted to make sure to highlight it. My last question for you, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? To be unbroken means to be willing to allow yourself to be with some compassion for when you fall back into old patterns, allowing yourself to be human in that way and really giving yourself some gentle space to be in whatever form you can show up in today. Love it. Brilliantly said. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show. But I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, for free. If you go to book.thinkunbroken.com, you can download the PDF ebook version of the book and get everything that I know about the baseline of healing trauma for free downloaded to your email right now. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to download your copy of Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for a PDF for your phone. Again, that is book.thinkunbroken.com. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.